This is a Bulldog Radio podcast. It's Tuesday, everybody, and you're listening to the most valuable sports podcast. Brandon Worth here alongside my partner, Joe Nagy, here in what is really fulfilling its expression of a month of April showers. Certainly will bring May flowers, but you know, Joe, I'm sick of this Dude, rain, this bro. sucks, man. Like, it's the worst. Like, it, we, had good, we had good weather like two weeks ago, and now it's just like, hey, snow, rain, cold weather. I, I wore shorts and a t-shirt and rode my bike to class on, like, St. Paddy's Day. And then now it's like I have to wear sweatshirts and two layers before I go out just to make sure I'm not cold when I got to walk from my car to the buildings I have to take class in, which is stupid. But, hey, at least it's boiling hot in the studio right now. That's yeah, the it is good very thing. true. I don't know who turned up the AC. I'm glad to see our tuition dollars are really going to work here. Yeah, this building. I mean, certainly. Like, we're going to 85 degrees right now. I'm surprised that I haven't had sweat dripping on my microphone already. It is so hot in here. But we're still... Embracing the elements to oh, give yeah. you guys a banger of an episode. We got the Fair State Sports Report on deck, including the recapping the national championship of last night and what happened on the floor that gave Kansas the victory as well as the Frozen Four. We'll get into some NFL talk later, but first make sure that you go follow the Bulldog Radio RSO on Instagram and social media, and that is the one-stop shop to start your podcast on campus if you want to start anything, whether it's about movies, entertainment, culture, music, sports, or more. They are the club to get you started. That's where me and Joe started, and look where we are now, and you could be the next. So make sure you follow them, join the club, and get started with your podcast today. But moving into the Fair Sage Sports Report, we go starting on the diamond. A very nice split over the weekend for softball, getting victories um, against our rival, Grand Valley, anchor down, and Yay. Davenport as well, and a 2-2 two two weekend split. Uh, overall, when our offense is hot, we can beat anybody, and that's really, truly what we proved overall over this weekend altogether. Just the consistency is the only issue. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and when, uh, when our bats were hot, like, we were able to do really well, and I think our defense really showed out uh, this this week, too, uh, holding Grand Valley. Even when we lost only three runs, that's pretty solid, as well as, I mean, Davenport the second day was a little bit different, allowing six, but still, we were able to, you know, do really solid on both ends of on both sides of the field which is something that you really like to see especially with uh the weekend coming up uh pretty soon um but you know that's what that's what you like to see especially since we've been kind of struggling as of late uh with getting the bats going yeah and i think like you mentioned on the both sides i mean hitting wise it was fantastic being able to put a, together games of eight runs and 11 runs um over the weekend was a huge sign uh, of good things to come and i think even on the other side too not a lot of errors. That was something that we mm-hmm. had struggles with against Wayne State earlier in the last games of March, and we really turned it around super well. We only had two errors over the four games altogether, um, and both of them came in the Davenport series. So, I mean, that's a really good sign moving forward that we're starting to improve in that category. Yeah, overall, having some of those struggles early on this season. Um, our pitchers did really well um, overall over the weekend. I mean, we got a couple of nice wins and a lot of good outings overall. And I mean, even in our even in our loss against Grand Valley, I mean, only giving up three runs. Our offense was just cold that game. Like there was nothing we could do there. Mm-hmm. I mean, our pitching was still great. Only gave up five hits, three runs in that game altogether. And then being able to get all, people off base was the huge turnaround in game two. Gave up twice as many hits about the same amount of runs. That's showing that our defense is able to get off the field, and that's going to be a well-needed thing when we start to get into the postseason because a lot of these teams, bats are going to spark, especially later in the postseason. It happens every year. So are you going to be able to get out of those jams and get off the field? That's what separates those championship-caliber teams. For sure, and I think that's going to be pretty, pretty much setting us up really well for uh, tomorrow, April 6th, against Northwood when we travel there because I think Northwood's near the bottom of the GLIAC standings. I think they're about – I think they're two spots ahead of us right now. I knew in preseason they're above us, but that's still going to be a pretty solid test being able to get a few more wins. I mean, two and two right now in the GLIAC – or sorry, two and four in the GLIAC right now is not too bad. Uh, but, yeah, it's just a, it's a good turnaround from last weekend when we had to play Wayne State and we had two losses there. So it's a good good two-game split that we got. 
Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of good things that we saw on both sides. I mean, hitting-wise, we had a pair of doubles in the first game from Caitlin Orme and Josie Prince. And then the third game or the second game against GV, we just decided to turn it into a derby. Paige Court's going deep and Kylie Winkle's going deep twice for a pair of home runs. Uh, and that was a super cool thing to see as well. And the offense certainly carried over into the Davenport game, um, putting up, I think that would be pretty close to a season high of 11 runs overall. Um, in a contest, I believe that is, I think that's a, might be the second highest that we've had this season, if not the highest. No, I was right. Second highest, we put up 14 against Truman uh, early on in the the for preseason. Runs out, for runs that we got. Yep, so mm-hmm. that's a pretty solid performance. I mean, being able to put up 11 runs, and I mean, pitching-wise, only allowing three runs over the course of three, or three runs in the first three games, I think was huge for us. Obviously, the the, the Sunday uh, nightcap was a little bit of a struggle, giving up six. But I mean, we still showed a lot of good glimpses, and I think that makes us a really dangerous team. Because in the reality, I mean, if you're able to split, hey, if you split the first game in postseason, you're in good shape. That's true. That's so, very very true. So if yeah, if you're gonna win one, win the first one. So then you know you can just move on to play the second one. So exactly, that's, you got to win the first one first. But uh, obviously, as Joe mentioned, this team's gonna be back in action against Northwood coming up Wednesday. Um, that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun contest for sure. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this team turns over and that, get that offense moving in Midland. Uh, those games will be first pitch at three o'clock and five o'clock on Wednesday. But you will be able to follow along. Online at FairStateBulldogs.com. They'll also be playing uh, at home on Saturday, too, uh, in Sunday. So you can watch them here on campus against Parkside and Northwest on Saturday and Sunday. So should be some good matchups. I'm really looking forward to seeing this team continue to develop as the season moves on. But anyway, moving on over now into golf was over the weekend. Um, traveling down to Canton, Ohio, and actually st- both teams are still in action. Um, only seen day one results as of now as we're recording this early on Tuesday. Um, so they will be still competing in day two of the Cav Classic for the men and NC4K Classic or Invitational for the women. Um, but both teams saw really good things day one, really high up on the leaderboards, Joe. Yeah, true. Uh, men uh, ended up finishing uh, second so far uh, from day one. They're a little bit behind Walsh University. They're at plus four. We're at plus ten. But we've been able to kind of set ourselves apart uh, between uh, uh, the top three, I think. Uh, it's kind of a huge disparity between the top three and then, like, everybody else because in fourth place is uh, 40 over compared to Malone, who's in third, right behind us at 13 over. So I think we just really only have Washington University to beat, who's going to be tough because they've been a pretty solid and uh, and consistent team so far this year. But I think we'll be able to do something well with that because, uh, you know, we've been able to see constant improvement throughout the whole day. So I think if we just really play well, we'll be pretty solid. And then on the women's side, we're t- 11th right now, which is pretty solid. I mean, we're behind Wayne State, a couple of uh, GLIAC teams as well as we're above some GLIAC teams as uh, too. So, We've seen constant improvement from both teams on the second day, so I'm really excited to see what they're going to be able to do later on as, as we're talking. Obviously, it's Tuesday right now, but, I mean, it's pretty – Finley and Tiffin and stuff, they're a pretty solid women's golf program, so you kind of expect them to be up there. But, you know, we've been really climbing, especially from last year when we kind of had a little bit lackluster of a season. We've been really showing a lot of improvement on all sides of all five of our golfers, and we've been pr- pretty solid. I mean, ending the first day with 346, that's not too bad. It's only 58 – I mean – 58 over comparatively between everybody else who is the lowest is 13 after that's 25 so I think we're going to be doing pretty solid the next couple days yeah it's definitely a a tough course there at Jefferson Country Club but I mean there's I mean that can just be said by 13 over is the leader right now so uh, I mean it's it's a tough course and obviously in Ohio right now I mean really comparatively and geographically like they're kind of in the same boat they're getting some crappy weather right now as we are too so I mean that's going to be kind of cruddy with conditions wise but I, there's still a lot, a lot of room to come over. We still got round two um, to be able to carry over and being able to play a good round of golf and being able to improve. That's been the team's M.O. over this early season is being able to put together a really solid first round and then, hey, let's adjust. Let's chip off some strokes and do this in round two and let's make a move up the leaderboard. And both teams have been able to do a great job of that. So we're certainly looking forward to that. But a lot, And I think what the, the women are in a position where they have – there's a lot of room – to be able to catch up because, I mean, only a 346 round one uh, and if, all the way up to about seventh and eighth, there's only a 10-stroke difference. And we just mentioned that, oh, I think it was two weeks ago on our pod, uh, about how crew, like how 10 strokes isn't as much 
as you think it would be necessarily as a team standpoint, mm-hmm. because obviously those are combined. So it's not one person's got to make up 10 strokes. It's, you know, five people got to get up two strokes each. Right. And now it's like, oh, yeah, OK, this That's is pretty doable. doable. Yeah. So there's still a lot of room to improve. And I mean, this team's really looking forward and moving ahead now in the leaderboard as far as regional rankings. I mean, they're going to keep moving up if they keep playing this way, and that's exactly what we want to see going into potential postseason play. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we got a pretty solid uh, pretty solid uh, events coming up with this GLIAC championship. We got only one more week, I think, for both teams. I know women have the Cav Classic next weekend, so they'll be at the same uh, – they'll be at the course that the men are playing at right now, and then I'm not sure where the men are playing at next week. No, they think they will be. Was do they have an off week? Is that what do it is? I think they. I think there's a a little gap in there somewhere. They have the uh, Monday the 11th. They have the Bill Blazer Memorial. That's in Urbana, okay. That's so. Ohio. So they they're they'll be in a different place. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, okay. The the gap is between conferences and regionals. So that's yeah. where the gap is. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, obviously, a lot to look forward to and a lot of golf to still be played and improvements uh-huh. to be made going to Augusta at the end of April. It should be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing that. But uh, speaking of field, track and field was in action at Michigan State at the Spartan Invite, uh, getting our outdoor debut. Certainly, Tell us all fun. about it, Brandon. Tell us all about it. I certainly will. It was a pretty good race. Uh, I think there was a lot of differences as far as going into the outdoor season of you know, we weren't necessarily expecting it to be 30 degrees going into this meet, but that's just that's just the cards that Mother Nature dealt, mm-hmm. so we had to figure it out. But did had a lot of great performances. I mean, uh, there were certainly some great ones that stood out with PRs and certainly a lot that stood out from debuts and races and doing a lot better um, than some people projected us to be doing. And I think that's just super fun when you can play spoiler all the time. And it's just it just makes the sport that much better. But a lot of good performances. Throwers did really well overall. Jason Keena, sixth in the jab, as well as Forrest Akers, tenth in the discus. And by the way, this is a load these are loaded fields of D one and D two caliber teams. So a lot of great things there. Sydney Kubiak, 5K, 1807 in fourth place overall. Landis Strauss, eighth, and Callie Delaney, ninth as well. Uh, and I believe Sydney Kubiak's time got her in the top 10 all-time women's 5K list. And it's only, I believe, 20 seconds away from potentially top seven. So really good performance there from Sydney. Uh, Kaylee Huey was third. And Katrina Drowski, fourth in the unseated 800 meters. Um, Brianna Copley, fifth in the discus, uh, eighth in the shot put. She did very well. Uh, and a lot of great performances, uh, especially from the men's in the distance. A couple guys um, that I know of for sure have qualified going into the Bucknell meet, which is going to be one of the elite meets in the entire country that has standards. Uh, we've already had guys hit those standards, so they're going to be for sure competing. And if not, they're going to break them this weekend. Guarantee, knock on wood right now under the table. I will bet on it. Thank you, Joe. No problem. So a lot of good things there. Uh, and I think there's just a lot of improvement going into the season because I think it's going to be fun now. It's supposed to be about the same temperature in Louisville, which is ridiculous. But I mean, we're still holding out hope that it'll be a little bit nicer because, man, when it's when it's a little bit warmer, I mean, you can you can really turn it up. And that was something that was really impressive is how well our teams did, especially embracing the elements. Yeah, that's that's really sick. Uh, especially kind of to see everybody. Cause I know, I saw some of my friends that uh you know go to different different schools like Davenport and stuff mm-hmm. like there, that they were there too. So it's really cool to kind of see the mix of both D2 schools and D1 schools and kind of see like them compete with each other. But I saw you running the other day. Yeah, you did. Outside? Yeah, right by the UC. It was yesterday actually. Oh, yeah, that is. I do just run yeah. by the UC. So, hey. I, I was going to wave, but then uh, you're kind of in the zone. You were running with uh, was yeah, it Casey. Yeah, Dan and Casey, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, we by, were... right by the UC intersection. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. We would have been just coming back then. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Crazy I... stuff, small world, you so, know. So, yeah, hey, if you see you see us out and about, go say hi to us. We'll, we'll, we'll have a chat up a conversation, unless I'm, like, you know, in the middle of a run. Then it'll be a little bit hard. <laughs> yeah, that'll be tough. Maybe it'll, it'll be a wave or a nod or yeah, something. Yeah, it'll like be, that. Yeah, I'll acknowledge your presence, but I might, might not be able to get a lot of the words out because, you know, running is hard, and running and talking is even harder, but... A lot of good things this weekend, and I think there's a lot to look forward to with this team. There's a lot of spark coming up from the indoor season and just from the debut that I would argue, especially on my team's behalf of, there's a lot of guys that really, and a lot of the girls as well, that are feeling like the transition from indoor to outdoor is got an even higher ceiling based off of what we saw earlier in the meet at Michigan State. I think there was so many good performances that 
exceeded expectations that there's nothing but upward we can go with this and make it a really, really good season. So looking forward to it. We're going to be traveling to Bellarmine uh, on Thursday. We'll be recording this. We'll be recording the episode Wednesday, the re-release Thursday for you mm-hmm. guys. So I can get on my, I can get on the bus and head to, to Louisville on Thursday morning to get for Friday and Saturday. So that's going to be fun. You can follow all those results online. Um, if you, I believe if you can go to, uh, you can go to the track and field schedule um, for the hardcore ones that follow. And I believe that there should be, um, there should be a live result link on our website. And if not, go to Bellarmine University's website and you can find all the Jim Vargo invite information and more. Your boy's doing steeplechase, 1,500. A lot of guys are going to be doubling up both days. So going to be a lot to look forward to. going to be a fun meme. I hope it's warm. Please be I'm praying, warm. I'm praying that it's warm for you too. Thank you. That's going to be All th- prayers appreciated for nice weather. Yeah, it's going to be sick though. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be a fun meet. Out of state meets are always fun just cuz you get to travel and you can experience a new place, a new meet, and I mean you can race against new teams and just ex- have a whole new experience. It's fun every year, so really really good things. Um going over now, tennis was in action as well over the weekend. Um really positive results there. Uh, obviously sweeping Purdue um, Northwest was a huge improvement for us, and I think that just solidifies even more how much of a powerhouse this team really is. People need to stop sleeping in the regional rankings. Hello, put us up higher, please. Men with a 7-0 sweep, um, and the women with a decisive 5-2 victory um, and staying unbeaten. So I think that's a huge thing for the men. And, I've, I mean, really, you look at what we did also against Davenport, I think that just it just really proves that people keep sleeping on us. You can keep sleeping all you keep want, doing but it, man. Keep I mean, doing you're it. just gonna you're just gonna miss the greatness as it just flies right by you. Just a shame. Exactly. But this team up higher, we just literally we're we're ranked 26 right now, <laughs> but like we're beating teams think, ahead of us and we're crushing teams behind us. To I me, think it's just because we haven't really seen them outdoors yet. You know, yeah. it's just like it's just been indoors, but I don't know. It's it's one thing that's always scary for this team is like it's or the thing that makes this team scary is just the doubles, you know, cuz mm-hmm. when, when we when we're able to win doubles, which we I don't think we've lost yet this season in conference play, like we just roll. Like that's when we get our energy up and going because those are those are the big ones where you can really kind of click together and that's kind of when you really start to find your stride. Yeah, it's a little bit it's different obviously than singles, but you know you're able to really connect with your partner with your playing partner and then that kind of gets you ready to go in and play really well for it. And the one thing about Purdue Northwest is Jan took the one spot. They gave uh, uh, Matisse a little bit of a day off for mm-hmm. for him to to kind of recuperate a little bit, which was good. And uh, it was nice to see all these guys step up and be able to play well. I mean, especially Josh being able to get two big wins. 6-1 in both of his singles. Uh, Jan was 7-5, 6-3, a little bit closer, but still being able to pull it out. Yannick had to go to the uh, late into the second round, was able to get it still in two games, 6-2 to 7-6. But, you know, just really solid performances all around from guys who had to step up, which was really good. And not to mention, I mean, the women's able to get the uh, get the win in doubles to give them a good start and to really just play well in that singles portion, too, was uh, a big one. Yeah, and that was the biggest thing is we saw a lot of the we saw a lot of the tennis players, um, some of them getting um, a day off, obviously, from playing um, Davenport the day before, which was well-deserved. And seeing a lot of that, that young depth step up, I mean, Alessandro on the men's side for sure stepping in that four spot and getting really decisive win 6-0, 6-1. What really stood out to me as well as um, seeing like Alyssa Zellers take on or play on the court um, for a while now. That's something really good to see for the women's side, being able to see some of those new faces um, take the floor and see what they can do on the court. So, And I think you're right, like going into outdoor, that's really the, I think the biggest question mark that they have is like, we didn't have as great of a spring break, um, but we were playing tough teams. We were playing a top five ranked St. Leo team at one point. We were playing Texas Tyler, who was a tough team, and you have a lot of those other good region, like other good out of regional teams, that we fell a little bit outdoors. And I think that's really the only reason why we're not ranked up higher. Like this is a top twenty, top fifteen caliber team right now at the moment for to me. But obviously we're biased because we're we're Bulldog fans ourselves. But Straight up, when we watch this team play, I know I poked into the live stream a little bit. Like, they're playing clean, decisive, dominating tennis. And that's something that, like, you don't necessarily see. Like, obviously, you can see some of the scores being pretty decisive of 6-1, 6-1, 6-0, 6-0, those type mm-hmm. of numbers. But when you're watching them play, 
it, they're making it look easy. Like it's just a complete domination, and that's you. You can just literally see from the seven oh five to ultimate score lines against Purdue Northwest and beating a tough Davenport team that was ranked ahead of us at one point. So yeah. just the fact that you see that, I think, really puts it together because, in reality, we look at the regional standings and there's a lot of good teams ahead of us, but. I mean, are those like are we going to see the consistency from some of those teams? Because some of those teams have fallen off as well. But I think that the role that we're on, we just continue that. We're just going to slowly keep climbing because I think some people are starting to realize. Because I think people took, uh, ranking people, I should say, took our spring break visit of four or five games too seriously when it came to outdoor. Because that was our first games of outdoor in, in a whole different state, in a whole different environment. So, obviously, yeah. you take that with a grain of salt, but... I mean, you're still able to to dominate uh, a top 25 team in Davenport and beat them 6-1, not 4-3, not 5-2, 6-1. And I, th- I that just really proved to me, like, this team's legit. And we've always should have known that, and they've always proved that. And they don't listen to the noise, and they go out and win every day. And that's for the women as well, because, I mean, beating Davenport for them was also huge and in dominating fashion. Yeah, true. I think that's uh, it was definitely two statement games. I think for this weekend, although Purdue Northwest, like you said, not the not the best program uh, out of everybody, but I think it was still really solid to be able to go into a into a matches where we were expected to win and win solidly, and we did that on both sides with both the men and women. So uh, gonna be pretty sick, yeah. Especially since I think we're hosting Wisconsin Claire. I think yeah, Eau Claire. I think is coming up. So that's gonna be that's gonna probably be a fun one. Looking forward, and I think the women will also have. Um, a couple uh, out-of-conference matchups. I think they'll play Eastern, actually, on Sunday, according to the schedule as of now. So that's going to be a really nice test, playing a Division One program, a very reputable team. Uh, and the men taking on Wisconsin Duclair. Uh, I think the location of that game is not quite determined as of yet. It says it's home, but obviously um, there there's room. Oh, it'll be question if it'll be indoors, outdoors, and whatnot. So... And hopefully the weather will cooperate. I know on Sunday it's supposed to be, or at least it's Monday, it's supposed to be like 60 degrees. But yeah. this weekend I think it's supposed to be like 30. So the bipolarness of the weather is really just, you know, it's really just yanking. It's really, it's really just really yanking my strings right now. It's really <laughs> making me upset. I don't, I don't I'm not going to take that as I'm going to take it with a grain of salt, but we need warm weather again. Like, we can't just yeah. keep going back and forth, Mother Nature. It's not cool. You're, Make a you're, choice, please. Yeah, you're making people get sick. Think about it that way. Exactly. My roommate got sick the other day, just like the cold or whatever. Yeah, the and temperature changes legit. It's the worst. Mm-hmm. I'm on the downside of it, so that's a good part, but still, it was very unfortunate. Yeah. Nobody should ever have to go through that. We need more consistent weather, and I know we can't do anything about that, but mm-hmm. if there's any way to will it into existence, let's just do it, you know? But... Well, who knows? But you know, one one tournament that doesn't have to rely on weather, Frozen Four is Frozen coming up four, next baby. weekend. And we have finalized. Frozen Four at the at the Boston Garden. That's gonna be sick, Mich- I mean, we talked about it already, but it's coming up pretty soon, uh, April seventh. So we got two days. I'm really excited for it. Uh, once against Michigan versus Denver in the early game at five, and then the eight thirty game is the biggest rivalry, Minnesota versus Minnesota State. I think that's gotta be the biggest rivalry in college hockey, uh, to be honest. Uh, the two in, I mean, anytime uh, Minnesota teams play each other, it's going to be special. I mean, when like Bemidji State has played Minnesota State, like St. Cloud State and stuff gets tossed in the conversation. I mean, St. Thomas now, yeah, they're not as good, especially since like it was their first year. But I think they're going to be pretty competitive in these next couple of years. They're getting a lot of guys from the transfer portal from, uh, I know that couple or one or two North Michigan Northern Michigan guys are going. Uh, I think they're getting a guy from Michigan Tech as well. So it's going to be pretty, they're going to be building up, but. Dude, it's going to be great. Michigan is kind of rolling on a pretty good offensive hot streak. Denver has really been proven to be a really solid defensive team, so it's going to be the best of both worlds clashing. And then Minnesota State is, you know, one of the best teams in controlling the puck, and I think that's going to be solid for a Minnesota team. Yeah, and I I, I mean, the rivalry speaks for itself, but, I mean, we've seen matchups of this caliber before, and, I, I mean, Minnesota's just gotten the upper hand in a lot of them. I mean, they've been able to win – uh, a couple of championships, and that's been huge for those programs, especially in the early 2000s. Um, and, I mean, Michigan is obviously one of the more reputable Big Ten hockey programs you know, in that conversation with Minnesota for sure. Uh, but, I mean, Minnesota State's been such a high-quality team, but they've just never gotten over the hump, right? Is this the year they turn it around? That's what we're going to be wondering. And, I mean, I don't know about you, Joe, but, I mean, I would love to see them win to say, you know what, the Bulldogs beat the national champions. Like, yeah, that would be kind of sick. And I mean Minnesota nice thing to say. Minnesota State they have the most wins out of everybody. They have 
That's one thing. They have six more wins than number one Michigan. And, like, six more wins. Like, they're 35-5-0. Michigan's 29-9-1. They didn't even reach 30 wins. Like, that's just – so, I think – I thought that Minnesota State would get number one, but that's just me. But I still think that would be sick if Minnesota State would be able to take it all. But then that also brings the conversation. Then reigning national championships or, or national champions are going to be in our conference next year, which is going to be tough. Yeah, that's going to be tough. But, I mean, our our team's on the, on the up and up too, so I think that definitely speaks for itself. But True. the biggest thing I've noticed about this Frozen Four for sure, you look at stat lines, headlines, all those sort of things, is offenses win, won this year's championships, and there's no question about it to get to the Frozen Four. I mean, the top four teams literally in scoring offense – Denver, Minnesota State, Michigan, and Minnesota, which all those teams <laughs> made it to the fi- the Frozen Four for their ability to score. And there's a lot of great, great players that are gonna are gonna be in this year's tournament. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing, um, especially the the battle of goaltenders going up against the challenge offensively. I know we know we have a big familiarity with Dryden McKay and Dryden what he's McKay. he's been able to do. Obviously, he's kryptonites and Ingleglaben, but in neutral sites, he's really in lights out. But I mean, you still got to look at like you know from Michigan that's been phenomenal, and I mean we've seen great goaltending overall at throughout this whole tournament. Um, there's there's a lot of great talent in this tournament altogether, and especially in the final four. And I mean, it can kind of relate over to March Madness, which we'll go over in the second half of the show. Of we see all these high-powered offenses. Like it's just a chess match, right? It's like where where are teams gonna make runs, when yeah. are teams gonna step up, and when are we gonna see uh, defenses being able to lock in, and we're gonna see goaltenders potentially being stretched to the limit to see what you know McKay, Portillo, Close, and Mike Corona are gonna do in the pipes, uh, being able to try to stop those shots. I mean, that's gonna be the biggest challenge of the whole weekend. Is we know everybody can score, but who's gonna be able to lock down defensively? And I think that's where a lot of people are going to be looking at, you know, Michigan and Denver, really, who comes out of that could be potentially one of those teams uh, just based on defensive statistics. But don't don't sleep on either Minnesota team because Mm -hmm. those teams obviously culturally have been embracing this moment ever in their state's popularity of the sport for hundreds of years. And there's no doubt that the reason that hockey is so prominent is because of the success. Yeah, true. I mean, Especially with uh, Dryden McKay being in the Hobie Baker, uh, fine or t- I think top three finalists, or I think it is. But I mean, it's gonna be pretty crazy, especially seeing that it's su- it's such a star-studded uh, final four or Frozen Four. I mean, you got Michigan, whose first line is all top or first round draft picks. That's just ridiculously insane to see, and to see that they still have Kryptonite. They've been able to, and they've lost a couple of games this season that they should have won. With that roster, it's pretty interesting to see, and it always kind of brings up that question mark: is what's going to come down to like the biggest games? They going to be able to show up, or is it kind of going to be one of those off days where they, you know, they have nine losses for a reason? So, what is kind of what's been the the cause of that? You know, and Denver also, I mean, they're right behind them in twenty seven wins as well. So they're not, they're a program that's been really solid, but they've been known to drop games that they shouldn't have. And all three of these teams, I mean, they've just had a couple of hiccups here and there, but they've all been hot. But then that comes to the question is. Are they gonna have a hiccup when they when they when they really can't afford it? Is it gonna be this game? Is it gonna be a championship game? Who knows? But I'm really hoping that we're able to see some really competitive hockey here coming up because it's gonna be a pretty solid stage, especially in the Garden, which hasn't been uh, in Boston for a while. But I mean, East Coast hockey. I think we're getting a lot of fans there. Oh yeah, and I think it's been long time coming. I mean, we've had a couple really good Frozen Fours in the past, and I mean, being able to go back to the Garden and establish that. That East Coast fandom, I think, is going to be huge for the sport altogether because I think people kind of fell asleep a little bit because, you know, the popularity of hockey in Minnesota, um, in, Min- in Michigan, in the, the East Coast, I feel like it's kind of taken a back seat for, like, the Big Ten, the, the Minnesota area, obviously, where we are is, like, obviously prominent. But East Coast is just as good as yeah. far as, like, hockey fandom. I mean, you got well, you got Boston College, Boston University. You got UMass. North, you got Northeastern. Yep. You got a whole lot of teams that are like able to really do. I mean, you got Maine as well, who's a really who's a solid program. Haven't really seen too much success in the past couple of years, but still, uh, I'm missing a couple other ones. I know that. I mean, you got uh, Long Island University, who is not the greatest program, but it's still an East Coast hockey team. So yeah. you're still seeing a lot of players and a lot of a lot of programs from there that are really prominent in the in the hockey world. So I think we're gonna be seeing a pretty packed house in, in the garden uh coming up on uh 
What day is that? That's going to be... Um, the 9th? Yeah. Yeah, the, so it'll be the ninth. Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. It is, whoa, Friday. 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 And then Sunday. Friday. Wait. Wait, today's the 5th. The 9th would be Saturday. 5th, 6th, 7th. I don't know 7th my is dates. Friday, and the 9th is Sunday. Yeah, so 8 p.m. on Sunday. Eight, wait, this on Sunday. The championship game is eight is eight o'clock on Sunday. Oh, okay. The semifinals so, so are April, both on Friday. So April tenth, and so it's Friday, and it's the eighth and the tenth. Then it's the ninth, seventh, and ninth. What? That's Thursday, Saturday, dog. What day is it today? Fifth. Yeah. Tuesday. So, oh, yes. Yeah, so never mind. Thursday, so, Saturday. So it'll be the eighth and I the tenth. Numbers wrong. Okay. There we go. Just clarifying to make sure, because I don't want to miss it too. I'll be watching it probably on the way home mm-hmm. from Kentucky. So. Uh, I'm going to be looking forward to seeing that national championship and who, which team will prevail in the Frozen Four. But anyway. Yeah. We'll know some, oh, before you go, you want to know something cool about college hockey next yes. year, though? Going to get two new teams on the D1 side. We're going yeah. to uh, East, uh, we're gonna get East Side College, uh, Stonehill College, which is in Eastern Massachusetts. We're going to be seeing that. And then Lindenwood, the uh, D2 yeah, team. Yeah, Everybody's making the jump to D1 I there. So that one's going to be cool. I mean, we they're a team that we would have saw in the playoffs for football last year if uh, Grand Valley didn't beat them, but Correct. Yeah, it's That's gonna be right. a pretty, pretty solid shakeup of uh, of D one hockey. So D one hockey coming back to prominence. There's a lot of schools making the jump, and some that will eventually make yeah. the jump, but I'm just won't admit it yet. I'm interested to see, like, because a lot of like the down south teams, like those big major D one schools for everything else, like Alabama, North Carolina, like a lot of those teams, like they have hockey programs, but they're in like the ACHA D one, which is like the step below. It's like right before D two or whatever, and like. I just feel like they're not going to make the jump because it's they're down south, so I don't know how good of a hockey program they'll be. But I, I'm excited to see how how big the how big it will become if those teams kind of make that jump too. Because there's so many smaller schools that are making the jump to D1 hockey at least. So yeah, that's true. Being able to adjust is going to be the name of the game when it comes to make or I, I guess really just being able to establish yourself as a program because you make the jump too early. Yeah, you got to kind of make it at the right time. Yeah, you know? that can doom you. And we've seen plenty of programs that have tried before. And have failed epically, but I think there's also some big confidence in those two teams going to the Division One yeah. level. But Lindenwood is also joining the Ohio Valley Conference. Yeah, so. the OVC. And that'll be with like Bellarmine, the school I'm going to this weekend. So hey, I believe in the OVC. So uh, that's gonna be a fun. That's gonna be a fun conference. I think now when you got it, because Lindenwood, I think, is making the jump altogether, right? Yeah, everybody is. Yeah, so they got Maine, Stony Brook, Albany, Vermont, NJIT, or what is that? New Jersey Institute of Technology, I mm-hmm. guess. UMass Lowell, Binghamton, New Hampshire, Hartford, and UMBC. They're going to have a pretty – if they have to play UMass Lowell in hockey, that's going to be kind of tough. UMass pretty good. Yeah, UMass is a pretty solid program, I yeah. would say. I mean, having them as, you know, previous – They're not the same team that won last year. They're a different team. No, no, yeah, absolutely. But still, very, very good program. And every program has its ups and downs. And we'll talk about that after this break when we talk March Madness and the NFL Draft coming up. Don't go anywhere. Over the past two years, this show has changed a lot. But one thing that has always stayed the same is our podcast platform and distributor. Anchor.fm is the one-stop shop to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free. There's built-in uploading options and editing tools that you can make and create and publish your episodes with ease and have all sorts of exclusive options as well as sponsorships, subscriptions, and even monetized ads as well. You can have all the analytics, all the insights to make your show number one. So if you're thinking about making a podcast, look first at Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. And we're back with the second half of the show. Me and Brandon now going to hop into the March Madness National Championship. What a game this was. North Carolina versus Kansas Jayhawks. Kansas took it away, Brandon. Hey, I've, I was hoping that North Carolina was going to win, mainly because they're the eighth seed and they were just kind of got hot right at the right time. But Kansas hasn't won in, what, 14 years or something like that, and they were looking to hang another championship in the rafters. But what a great game this was, honestly. Really close. Uh, Kansas coming back, largest deficit to ever come back in uh, in a national championship game ever. Got to give credit to the Jayhawks, man. Got to give credit to the Jayhawks. And as much as I, I'll say it right now, as much have or as much as I have slandered this team throughout tournament of last year, tournament of this year, they pulled it off. They did. I give them all. I got to give them credit to everything that they've done. And I think like with this team, the talent. 
the ability to get guys in the perfect position to succeed. I think it's been really something that they have strived with. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, them they they've had some things controversial in the past uh, going in, especially to this season, um, that have been like big question marks on how good this team really can be. And I mean, yeah, regardless, put that aside that they showed up in this final. They showed up in this tournament altogether. Yeah, I can understand some people are saying, yeah, the road was pretty easy. They had some fluky mm-hmm. seeds that they had to go up against, but they still they still had to beat some pretty quality teams to get here. I mean, Providence was one of the best teams like going in as far as well-coached teams. I mean, obviously, that Cooley winning coach of the year. Some people say they were a fraudulent four seed. That's fine, but they're still a really good quality team, uh, but they've still, they still had to beat a good Villanova team but, I mean, they still played really well. Remy Martin, Ojajabaji, um, David McCormick, those guys really played well. And I think that what the biggest testament of what Kansas did, especially last night, is they can sh- they showed that they can turn it on and turn it around in any game against anyone, any given day, any environment. And they certainly did that against North Carolina last night. Yeah, for sure. And I think the one thing, too, is, like, they kind of held Armando Baycott and Brady Manick to, like, no, like, not no points because, like, they scored 13 and 15, but they scored them to a lot less than they were accustomed to. I mean, Brady Manick has been able to put up, you know, 20, 25 points against really good teams, but when his threes aren't really falling, that's a huge, huge amount of points that UNC isn't getting. And when they and when Kansas kind of turned around coming into the second half and they went on that, what, like 30 to – or what was it? Uh, like a 30 to 15 run or something like that uh, to come back and kind of take the lead or whatever. Like that was something that really, really was uh, the turning point because Brady Manick was not having any of his shots falling. I mean, Armando Baycott also rolled his ankle again, so like that was really tough near the end. I think if if he didn't do that, then maybe it would have been uh, pretty uh, a little bit closer. But I mean, Kansas they just really showed out, really spread the ball out well. I mean, five guys above double digits. Uh, Dave McCormack and Ochai, oh, is it Okai or Ochai? Okai Abaji. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but he had 12 too. So it was really solid for all for all of them. I mean, they they played really well. Uh, I didn't think Kansas. I thought Kansas was gonna lose to Providence. To be honest, I had them going out then in my bracket because they almost lost to Creighton, uh, that nine seed. But hey, more credit to Bill Self, I guess, being able to pull off another one. Uh, what the cool thing though is both of these coaches, uh, Hubert Davis and Bill Self, both succeeded. Uh, what's his name? The old UNC coach. Oh, Roy Williams? Yeah, Roy Williams. They both succeeded Roy Williams in their positions to get to where they are right yeah, now. Yeah, and look where they are now. That's crazy. One beat Coach K, one beat Jay Wright. Two of the best coaches the game has had in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. 100%. And I mean, for Hubert Davis to bring this team to a national championship his first year as an eight seed, I think North Carolina is going to be scary, scary good. But Yeah, I think we would agree wholeheartedly, 100%, that North Carolina's run two this championship was the most impressive thing. Most impressive thing out of this tournament. I mean, obviously Kansas won it all. They're going to be the story we talk about. They're going to be the name etched in the record books forever. That's fine, but North Carolina had to play. I th- I thought with them playing Mark. I thought them playing Marquette was going to be um, definitely a game that they would pretty easily win. Um, but other outside of that, dude, their road to get here. They're playing the defending really national champions in Baylor. They beat a Final Four representative of UCLA, and you you have to give them credit. I mean, obviously, yeah, they did have to go play St. Peter's, and that was sort of a bye week. Then you got to take out Duke in Coach K's potential final game with that hype to it. So that that's just such so impressive for what this team was up and down. Hubert Davis had their, their had his team well oiled machine going into this tournament. And it was certainly well known because, I mean, hats off to North Carolina and what they did. And it was really just an incredible game altogether. And then really the, the biggest thing was Kansas has able to flip it, been, been able to all tournament flip the switch and turn it around in the second half on games that they struggled with early. And to, last night was no different. I mean, being able to score 47 points in the second half. Is a huge contrasting point to 25. Yeah. And, I mean, North Carolina was dominating as far as inside's concerned in the first half. I mean, they were getting second-chance points left and right. They were able to get on the glass with Armani Baycott, who's hands down one of the best players in this tournament altogether. Um, but Kansas was able to fill it, especially in the second half, because they struggled early on from the free-throw line. I mean, they finished with 57%. They obviously padded that on a little bit later. But 
they still they were able to fill it in big times. Remy Martin was huge, especially in those early second half where he was getting threes in that stinking corner, like four or five of them in a row, it seemed like at one point. But you gotta give you gotta give credit to Bill Self. That that's really able to get his guys in there. David McCormick was apparently a huge leader in the locker room by what I heard in that game. And that's that's just something that gotta give him credit for being able to make that comeback. But you also gotta say, man. UNC, they broke down a little bit in the second half. Choked is one word that used to describe it, but either way, however you describe it, I mean, they, they were in the driver's seat and they, they took the foot off the were. gas. Yeah, I think I think especially when you look at when the game started and it looked like Kansas was in control for them for like that first like five, ten minutes when they went kind of, it was like 7-0, and after that they still kind of went up a little bit, but then, I mean, North Carolina had that really good run. I think that's a that was a problem because I don't think UNC really has been a team that has been coming out of the gate hot. Kansas has been able to show that uh, over uh, over the past couple of weeks, but like when you look at it, UNC honestly had probably one of the toughest, like you said, one of the toughest routes to get to the national championship. I mean, yeah, Marquez, the nine, and obviously you have the outlier of the 15-seed St. Peter's in the Elite Eight, but it's like, you got to play two number one seeds this uh, in this tournament. You got to play number four seed in UCLA, who is starting to get, uh, get hot, and you have to play Duke, which is one of the toughest teams to play, especially when they're trying to you know have that revenge of losing at Cameron Indoor. So I don't know. UNC played extremely well. I wish they got the win just for the Cinderella story. We could have had another piece of history, but hey, Kansas man, they really were able to dig deep, and that's the one cool thing is because they were supposed to be what was it twenty twenty? They were one of the favorite teams to win too. And then they kind of got that stripped away. So, you hey, what's delayed is not denied. So that's one thing that you can really take away from this is Kansas was there to get what was theirs. So Yeah, they, the the route for them was very – A little unorthodox. Yeah, it was certainly looked like, all right, if this is the year, they better do it now, right? Because this is the easiest road, hypothetically, for you to get there. I mean, they took care of business. So, I mean, they still had to play some tough teams. But, I mean, they certainly had an easier road to get there. Uh, but they were able to establish themselves and what they need to do in the tournament. I mean, Adjibaja was the, the pretty much the, the player of the tournament, um, receiving that award because he was awesome. I think Remy Martin was really the the spark that turned this team um, in from a borderline con- contender to a legit contender one seed going into this tournament with him being back after his knee injury. So, and I mean, he certainly proved it in this game altogether for, for what he put on in, as far as a show going later in that game but I mean overall just a, it was a great tournament altogether. and I mean we saw a lot of good things from a lot of great players especially players that are now going to be probably going to the next level especially from Kansas is concerned I mean we could see um some of those guys end up going to the draft um but I think you you had a lot of talent in the in this final game that I think some people kind of like forgot about as far as um, you look at a lot of the the players that going into the season you didn't really know a lot about, and now you got these standout guys like Armando Baycott, and you got Caleb Love who stepped up huge in the tournament. He struggled a lot last night, but I mean he was still great in the tournament. Brady Manick was great with a, a double double, but I think you still have a lot to look forward to if you're a North Carolina fan because this team, as far as their ability to make plays, play physical, get beat everybody on the glass indecisively not even close and I think you they could run this back and they could really make a nice run next year because Kansas certainly has a lot of talent as concerned but I mean if you're going to bet on them as national champions repeating next year I would say slow your roll a little bit because their road's going to be hopefully a lot tougher next year to get back and it's no disrespect to them because I think this is a really talented team but based on the storyline ending you're going to lose a couple of guys will Chris Bond you have Ochai Adubaji, you got Remy Martin, those guys that could play at the next level, potentially make that jump now for satisfying their hope of winning a national championship in college because that's usually what happens. We saw that with Baylor last year with guys like Jerome Butler. Uh, so we're going to see those things, and I think that there's a lot of good things you can see from both teams. And I think altogether, I mean, not the not the outcome we wanted for Coach K going out in style as oh, he would be over so deserving for his career, but Oh, it's still a fun tournament. I think there was a lot of storylines that were going to fit themselves all together, but just realize life isn't, doesn't work like that. Things are going to yeah. happen, and how do you respond to those? And frankly, those two teams certainly were the examples of that. I think if St. Peter's didn't make it to the Elite Eight like they did, probably would have been the most boring tournament we've ever seen. Yeah. Because a, like, a lot of it was chalked up mm-hmm. just to, like, 
who you like just to the higher seed. So I don't, I don't know. That's like the one thing when I look back at it is like, it looks like basically like a basic bracket, like kind of, there's like, yeah, maybe a, a seven seed beats a 10 seed and stuff like that here and there. But like, other than that, you don't really see much until the St. Peter's thing happened. And that was like the big story. So I always love to see the, uh, love to see them. But if that never happened, I think that this would have been probably the most boring one that we've seen yeah, in I would a long ag- while. I would agree with that. And I think, I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot of upsets in this tournament. Obviously, we had the, the, the always, you know, the ever so deceivingly, like chalk almost upsets of the five twelves and the four thirteens. But I mean, we still had a couple of really nice ones. I mean, St. Peter's I think was the story of the tournament altogether. Uh, just for them being able to reach the elite eight was certainly a cool sight to see. Uh, and I mean, especially with uh, Coach Holloway now going back to Seton Hall, I think that's going to be a really, uh, really fun thing for that program mm-hmm. to have him back. But how I many, think how many of those guys do you think are going to uh, go to Seton Hall now? I think a couple. I think a couple will. I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, think Doug. If, yeah, Dougie. Doug. Doug's gonna yeah, go. uh, yeah. I don't know. Unless he signed with Buffalo Wild Wings at St. Peter's, then he might have some trouble. That's but true. Who knows? But yeah, I think there's there's going to be a couple. I think. I think you're going to see a lot of people moving around in the portal. I know Kentucky is literally almost bare bones already. And LSU has literally became a blank one slate. Guy. They have one guy, don't they? I think it's zero now. No scholarship players currently on the roster. They're either all declared or they're already in the portal. Yeah, well, they have, like, what? I know, well, Sharif is in the portal. Mm-hmm. Like, three of their five starters are in the portal, right? I yep. think one of them declared for the draft. Dude, that's, that's going to be tough. I don't know. That's the one. If, just a quick point on the transfer portal and especially just like how fluid it's gotten now. I feel like so many times you see players who are just like don't really want to grind it out anymore and see like what that will bring you and if you want to spend like a few more years because like I think there's been so especially in college basketball and I mean we've seen this we're seeing this in football a lot more too but it's like with college basketball there was such a like one and duns were always like a little bit more rare. Yeah. You know, like you had to be like a special breed to come in your freshman year, show out, and it's like, yeah, I'm ready. But there's so many more guys who are like, oh, I can go one and done and then just develop in the G League against better competition rather than just get ready in college. And that's the one thing, especially with transport, is like guys will see, like LSU, like, yeah, they didn't have the greatest season this year. So it's like the guys are going to stay and develop even more, which they couldn't have a really good season and have a really good program but they're just going to move to somewhere else that's already on the up and coming. So Yeah, the transfer portal, I think for sure. And it's a blessing and a curse, really. Yeah, it's, we're going to see the benefits and the negatives for years to come now just for how fluid it's been and I think how fluid it's going to continue to be um, for throughout the next couple of years. Because you're right, I th- people are starting to realize it's now easier to move into. Um, it's, better, it's a lot easier now to move into a better situation for you uh, as far as professionally um, for all these guys that are their their plans are for the next level they're not looking at it oh yeah I'm not working a nine to five which kidding man like they're just gonna put themselves in a position now where they don't have to worry about that literally ever so I think you have a lot to look forward to when it comes to um, recruiting now with the portal being so prominent in college sports especially at the division one level um, but I think it's something that we're gonna certainly have our eyes on for a while now because I think altogether, I mean, even like pro sports, we're seeing so much, so much moving around. And I think people are starting to realize that they can make their own stories however they please. And that um, the, the loyalty aspect doesn't come as important anymore as it used to be. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Like, that's the one thing is I've always liked to see like the guys who stay out a little bit longer. I'm not a huge fan of the one and done anyways. Like mm-hmm. I would like to see like the guys develop in college for a couple of years, but I mean, and also people make the argument like they're just trying to make it and so that way they can secure an income or whatever. But I don't know. I like to see loyalty on the college on the college level. It kind of shows what kind of player they're going to be when they make it to the league. Yeah, I would agree with that. But on the mention of moving around, we've finished out the show here. NFL draft is coming up here at the end of the month. Um, a lot of rumors going around, Joe, and I think there's a lot of things that people want to happen but we're really looking like they're not going to happen. I think one of the biggest ones that we're seeing right now as Lions fans is, are we going to take a quarterback at number two? That's Hopefully a- not. No, why? I don't know. I don't think – I think we should wait uh, and try to see if if there will be a quarterback that falls through the cracks. You know, I think 
getting because I mean our offense is starting to pick it up a little bit. You know, like we were able to do something. It's just our defense that we got to work on. And I mean, I, if that's either picking up Aiden Hutchins, Hutchinson or picking up somebody who can kind of make that effect and be able to adopt the coach really fast, I think that's going to be the important thing. Because what we have pick, don't we have a late round pick too? We have pick uh, the Rams pick. Yep. I mean, let's see if you know Corral or Ritter or somebody or even like by chance like Pickett or somebody drops down that far because if they do then hey why not grab it i mean you got the two and 32 so you got you got a little bit of wiggle room to work there and you got some got some stuff to play with there but i'm kind of hoping that we don't take one early i think number two we can get a lot more value in if we just pick a player uh that's on the defensive side but I don't know. I know a lot of people are saying we need to pick like Malik Willis or somebody that's going to be able to do something, but I'm more of a fan of just letting that happen. If, if one kind of slips through the cracks all the way to 32, then it's kind of meant to be, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the, the biggest thing that I'll say with this, um, really on the, the quarterback drafting number two, I'm at the, I'm at the point now where I'm kind of like, I'm torn in between. If it's me, if you want Malik Willis sure we're gonna we're gonna be we'll get over that you took him and we'll obviously be excited on the upside but if you're not in the position of do you want Malik Willis to me it's almost like I'm almost on the other end of the spectrum where it's like yeah if he if we don't take one at two one don't take one at all at that point or and I mean obviously we're gonna take somebody like later in rounds I think that's I think that's definitely gonna be something that happens whether maybe mm-hmm. we make a we do a flyer and take Zebby from Western Kentucky who knows like in the fourth fifth round because he'll probably be there right we could always do that or it's just somebody that we can fill in at that quarterback room and challenge David Blau and Tim Boyle because we know both of those guys aren't going to be guaranteed starters so we can yeah. have, we can definitely substitute there but I mean when we're looking at the positions that we're in I know personally I would be I would feel super stoked if we could be able to trade out and trade down and be able to pick up some more picks. I know some people are against that. I like the idea of stockpiling on this defensive side before we fully invest in a quarterback as far as development is concerned. So I'm yeah. I'm kind of at the point where if Hutchinson's at 2, I think there's no question that the Lions are probably going to snatch him. I think that's I think that's more than done. Yeah. Trevon Walker's a fantastic player. I'm fine if we look at him too. His upside looks awesome. I think that he's a viable option at 2. Thibodeau is not falling as or he's falling a little bit farther down than I, than he was earlier on in January. So, I think some teams might be finding that he's a uh, a little has like a little bit more question mark as far as uh, his motor, um, so I think there's a little bit of question there. So I mean, if he, they take him at two, I'm also cool with that. But I think the most prominent issue right now, we gotta get this defense rolling. Like the mm-hmm. offense is doing okay. Like I, I'm like people are saying like, yeah, we're 20s, it's eighth in the league as far as offensive categories are concerned and all that. He's like, no, 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 because you're considering the whole season. This team after the mid point of the season where we made play calling changes was much different. It was a better, it was a better team, especially down the stretch. We saw what this team could do. And I think some people are fine with rolling with golf for another year where we find his replacement, hopefully next year's draft. But to me, I think you go in the position of if you're at two Hutchinson's taken, you can take Trevon Walker. You can go later on. You can double down even at the end of the first round. If you want to get another pass rush, because that's been our biggest weakness so far. And I would certainly be okay with us trying to fix that. Um, but you could also go back and you can get a safety. You can get a DB. Uh, you get a linebacker. You get N'Kobe Dean if he falls that far. Uh, or obviously you could take a receiver as well, which we could always use the help with Whether if somebody falls down that far um, that we could make a pick there. So overall, I'm not fully on board with the quarterback in number two. Obviously, if you want him, go get him. Don't, don't wait. Like if you think he's the next best thing and you don't see anybody next year that's potentially going to be in a position for us to go get – like yeah, we I I would like to hear the reasoning on why you wanted him so badly, but I'm not opposed to that. But as of now, let's bolster this defense first before we start really honing down on the offense. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing that the front office actually understands, and uh, that's one thing I think Dan Campbell understands is like our defense is one of the main reasons why we were losing games last season. And instead of building up that offense to kind of like just outscore everybody, I think the main thing is just getting getting uh, getting the ability to actually get some pressure on the opposing quarterbacks is the big thing because when we don't have that, then it just kind of is free reign of whatever they want to do with basically uh, the whole game. So I think that's the that's the uh, important part and that's the exciting part is that 
front office knows what to do for this draft, and I think we're honestly we're probably gonna take Aiden Hutchinson or probably uh, Thibodeau. I think those could probably switch out, but I think the the real choice is probably gonna be Hutchinson because he's a Michigan guy, he's a Michigan born guy, and I think he'll be able to really adopt the culture really fast. So yeah, that's that's the most important part is finding somebody who can adopt the that adopt the culture that is set in place. Because if you can't, then it's kind of just a waste of draft pick. Yeah, I think there's a lot that can happen with our pick. And obviously, Jacksonville seems like they're all in on Hutchinson. Obviously, they've been looking at tackle as well. But, I mean, to me, their more prominent position they need is edge. But, I mean, they did sign um, Key Arden as well. So, that kind of they're, they're kind of in a unique position where they're holding the cards here because they're going to – they're gonna help. They're gonna could mess up things for us, and we'll mm-hmm. mess up some people for some people down the road. So, I am super cool with an edge at two. I think we do it, but I think when you look at other positions down the road, I think you have to get a receiver, a top tier guy. I'm not saying we go out and pick one number two, but second, third round, there's gonna be some good ones available um, that we can take down the road. Um, but like I would personally love to see somebody like Jamison Williams fall down. I don't think it's going to happen. We probably have a better shot at like Watkins from North Dakota State. Um, but I think there's I think there's a lot you can do in this draft, Detroit wise, and no one's going to be angry because we have so many needs. But I think you look at where the stacks fall. Uh, I think the wide receiver class is pretty deep, so I don't think that's your most immediate need out of like the, the, the getting a linebacker, getting an edge, being able to rush the passer and contain is going to be a certain priorities for this team. Um, and even even getting a DB, I know there's a lot, a lot of mocks that have had us taking somebody like like uh, even Daxon Hill uh, yeah. at, at the 32 spot, which I'm not opposed to. Uh, but, I mean, if you're going to be spending that high on a safety, then you're going to have to make sure he's good because – like overdrafting a safety against the numbers hasn't had very great success. And that's the reason why we shouldn't draft Kyle Hamilton at two. That's for sure that if we want him, we need to trade out and make at least some use of the value because all the premier safeties that we've had in this league have all been drafted in later rounds. So to me, it's like, why would you even, why would you even take that risk of drafting one when you got guys like uh, Palomalo, I believe, was like a third, fourth round pick. I mean, you had guys like um, like Ed Reed that were later where that were a little higher on the list, but they weren't top ten guys. Like you know, like it's like the the ingredients to getting a quality safety in the NFL has been proven plenty of times to not have to happen in the first round. So that's where I'm like, let's wait, let's find another need that we know does need. We get an edge. Chase Young's been awesome. Bosa brothers have been awesome. Why don't we follow that path and get do that? Follow what's historically been good, and with what Brad Holmes did last year, he's done some of that, and it's worked. So why change it now? Because especially what we saw last year, this team is going to get better as long as we stick to the script and stay on it now because it's working. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're going to take Sauce Gardner. Yeah? Mm-hmm. The great, one of the greatest DBs in college football. I love Sauce Gardner, dude. I don't think I he's l- right fit. I was just joking with that. But yeah, I, I don't know. That's crazy, though. Like, he never allowed a single touchdown. He's never his, allowed a touchdown. In his collegiate career, that's crazy. He's a fantastic player. I think, personally, his best fit is in somewhere like probably the Jets. Probably, you could throw him in maybe in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, there there's a couple places you could put him. Uh, it's like... He wants to be. He could be the number one guy, a star player for a good market that needs a top tier player at the moment, and I think that's good. I know the Jets are going to probably be looking more towards receiver, um, where they're at now, uh, in the in the first round. But I mean, they still have plenty of picks to do so. I so I think that's definitely a possibility for them. Anybody in the top ten is going to take a look at Sauce Gardner, and I I could even make reasons why the Jaguars should take Sauce Gardner. But yeah. for us. Do we prominently need corners? No, because we've developed a lot of good ones, and we have a bad track record of drafting them in the first three picks because we haven't necessarily seen Jeff Okuda turn out that well. Now, will he have a bounce back year this year? Hopefully, yes, but if not, it's set in stone. Let's let's stay out of the DB room as far as draft is concerned in the early picks. Yeah, I think so. That's probably a smart idea. Yeah, I don't know. Just need pass rush, man. It's just hard to play against teams you can't rush the passer. It's it's been the most predominant yeah, you're, factor you're, in the league you're defensively. Kind of, you're, yeah, you're trying to like row up the river without a paddle, or you're up the river without a paddle at yeah. that point. It's just like because you know offense has been able to do some good and stuff, and I think we'll probably get even better with uh, the off season and stuff, kind of just development and stuff. But 
when you don't have those guys to really pressure the quarterback in all those situations, and it doesn't even mean passing. It just means kind of those teams who are more like that uh, that RPO type deal where they kind of, you know, have to read it a little bit. If you're able to fluster that quarterback and make him make the wrong decision every once in a while, that's a few turnovers that you're able to have. That's a few fumbles that you're able to recover. And I think that's the one thing that we got to work on, especially when it comes down to, uh, you know, the off season and when it comes down to the draft and when it comes down to free agency, just picking up those guys. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's going to be fun. I mean, we and Joe are going to put out our mock here in the next couple weeks here live on the show, so we'll get our thoughts on what all 30 team, 32 teams will do uh, in this draft as well as take all the first-round picks and give them to you because uh, I think it's going to be fun to see where all these teams lined up. And there's going to be trades that happen. I know that the Saints made a trade with the Eagles last night, so there's still a lot of moves yet to be made, and we're going to see a lot of teams really start to figure out where what their picture is moving forward. So. It's going to be a lot of fun. But thank, you, sick. thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate the, the, the flexibility with us on this episode. It's, going to be, it's a weird week. Uh, I know we're recording a little earlier today. And we're a little more sluggish, but you guys stick through it, and we appreciate you uh, and all the things you do. And don't forget to subscribe and follow on all our social media platforms and all of our content providers. So It's going to be a great upcoming finish of the semester, Joe. We're only a month away. Oh, yeah. Going to be close, and it's going to be even faster when we get done. So it's going to be a blast. But without further ado... Take care, everybody.